Hi, everyone. I'm Mel Butcher. And I'm Michelle Redfern. And we're behind the Lead to Soar podcast. We've got a couple really fun things to share with you. And the first thing we want to share is our colleague, Susan Colantuno. She started a podcast called Be Business Savvy. Be Business Savvy. We highly recommend it. And it's a short form podcast where you hear directly from Susan. It's like having a friendly mentor in your ear. So check her out at BeBusinessSavvy.com. Over to you, Michelle. Thanks, Mel. Well, two exciting things from me, along with Be Business Savvy. Number one, The Leadership Compass. My very first book is due for release on March 26, 2024. You can find out more about The Leadership Compass, what it's all about. Of course, it'll be your ultimate guide if you're an ambitious woman leader. You can find more about that at michelleredfern.com. And hand in hand with the Leadership Compass book is the Leadership Compass boot camps. I'm going to do one boot camp a quarter for 2024 for just six women at a time. And you'll be working through in three weeks. So, yes, it's short, sharp, and high impact. All of the elements from the Leadership Compass and my 40 years of executive experience. So, you'll cover BQ, EQ, and SQ, and you will be positioned to have a career that soars. Again, you can find out about the boot camps at michelleredfern.com, leadtosoar.com, or if you can't find any of that, just drop us a line and we'll point you in the right direction. You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Welcome, Michelle, to Lead to Soar. I'm so happy to be here with you today. As am I, as always, Mel. Good to be here to, to talk about stuff, about women, work, leadership, workplaces, and whatever else comes up. Yeah, so... For our listeners, Michelle and I were just having a chat and there's quite a bit on our mind because we've been receiving some really thought-provoking questions from our members inside a career that soars. And we thought we would pull some of the questions out and discuss some of those today. So we'll take this moment to remind listeners that you can leave your career questions in the form of a voicemail by visiting leadtosoar.com. So Michelle, you ready to dive into these? Absolutely. Let's go. Okay. Having a look here at the first question, this person wrote in and she says, I don't feel appreciated at work. I'm handling multiple responsibilities that are outside of my job description. It feels like I'm handling three different roles and responsibilities. I feel that I deserve a raise and recognition for all of the work I've been doing, particularly in the midst of the pandemic. How can I approach my superiors who haven't been acknowledging this extra effort that I've been putting in to get the raise and recognition that I deserve? Yeah, that's a, that's a doozy. And there's a number of different elements within that, that question that I want to explore. I want to explore uh, asking for a raise is there's a whole process around that. And, you know, some of it, we, we just had a podcast on confidence, right? So and we talked about what is confidence. Confidence is based on your competence, which is based on your skill and your knowledge. So, so there's something around confidence. I'm not going to touch that one straight up, Mel, but I am going to talk about the, how do I essentially get the recognition for the work that I'm doing? Now, some of that's around not waiting for it and actually putting it forward. So if I think about my own experience and my experience working with women, and certainly if I think about my experience as an executive with people reporting to me, I what I really appreciated seeing was people being able to express the outcomes 
that they had created for us and our business rather than the effort that they'd put in. Now, that sounds really harsh, but we talk about this in, in well, in a lot of the courses in, in A Career That Thought and in No Ceiling, No Walls. There's things, when we, when we speak the language of power, we want you to think about how you express what it is that you've created for the organisation. Often, and I certainly fell into this trap very early in my, well, probably too long in my career, but we talk about things called inputs, activities and results when we want you to talk about outcomes. So here's the example I would give. In my own history, I was once the manager of the National Activation Centre for Australia's big telco, Telstra. And so my activation centre activated every single mobile phone that came onto the network. Now, these are in the days before you actually had to ring and talk to a person. Hey, I went and bought a mobile phone. I've got to go and ring and get it activated. So, yeah, this is back in the dark ages when I was young. And what I would often say to people to describe, you know, so what do you do, Michelle? Oh, I run the, the NAC, as we call it, National Activation Centre. I've got 500 people and we activate every mobile phone in Australia. Okay, that, that's cool, but it actually doesn't describe what it is that I do for the organisation. A better way to describe that is I make sure that I've got the right people in the right place at the right time in my call centre so that every customer of ours can ring us and get their phone activated and start using their phones, therefore generating revenue for Telstra. Now, that's a bit of a long-winded way, but what I was doing there, describing the same thing but in a different way. So for this, for this particular person, I'd like her to think about for her, her boss or her bosses, how do they need to see and hear the contribution she's made to the organisation? i.e. what outcomes has she delivered, cash, growth, return, customer, and how can she get recognition for that? So that's that's the first bit. Then the second piece is around, is she shaping the conversations? So, and I think we've talked about this once before, Mel, is kind of rocking up to your annual review and going, I want a pay rise and I want a promotion when you haven't shaped or set that expectation with your boss or your bosses kind of as a boss you kind of go oh well where did that come from and uh, okay I don't know what to do about that so shaping the conversations from here on in so from right now she needs to be talking about here's what I do here's the here are the outcomes I create for the organization and therefore saying this is what I'm worth and then that links to the and I'd like to be recognised for that. Now, recognition can come in a, in a couple of different ways. One is your title, so i.e. whether you get promoted, uh, your pay, so getting a pay rise, that, that, that salary increase that she's after, but also doing the business case. So the organisation will invest time and time again, day in, day out. Every time any of us invest, we want to see a return on our investment. So if you are going into your organisation, into your boss and say, I would like, let's just say, I'd like a $50,000 pay rise, which is a, you know, that's a fair lift for in, in no matter what career stage you're at. I'd like a $50,000 raise. Think about it in these terms. If my boss was going to invest $50,000 in something, what would they want to see the return? How would they want to see the investment? You know, how would they want to see that play out? And that's about, you know, saying, here's what I do for the company. Uh, here's how I delight the customers. Here's the efficiency drivers that I've put in place. And if you were to replace me, and this is, comes to my third part, know your worth, if you were to replace me, just the sourcing activity alone would probably cost you, you know, ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. And then you'd have to pay, this is the market rate for someone of my credentials, my accomplishments and my seniority. So there's this, that's a really, I know that's quite a long-winded answer for, for this person, but, and it doesn't address perhaps her, the culture in her workplace, not necessarily recognising her or others well enough, but it certainly is a way for her to get into the driver's seat and start shaping those conversations to get what she wants. Right. In the case of any question that we get, we always have bit of limited information. Something that stood out to me is this person sounded 
in what they wrote in to us a bit upset. And I wonder if there's more here to be discussed around the mindset. So I think something that we've seen quite often with women is they're they're still in the mindset in the myth of, you know, if I work hard, things will come to me. People will recognize me. I'll get promoted. I'll get raises. Everything great will happen if I just work hard. And that's simply not the case. And rather than be angry about that and approach the discussion with superiors in anger, we have to get our mindset right around what is happening in the business world. And one aspect of that that you mentioned was using the language of power. So I just wanted to prompt and ask if you wanted to say anything more about the mindset here. Yeah, I I do. And as much as we can find ourselves in situations and with bosses or workplaces that maybe, you know, maybe it's it's not the forever job. Maybe it's not, you know, hunky-dory right now, but it is about then saying, well, okay, I'm a leader in this organisation and leadership manifests itself at every level. It is different at every career stage, but you're a leader. So how do I think about this differently? How can I be for the business? and start demonstrating that I am for the business. So this is, it's it's shifting that mindset, Mel, of going beyond, this is a transaction between two entities. I do stuff, you pay me. You know, if, if that's the mindset, that is not the mindset of a leader. The mindset of a leader is I am here to help this business grow. I'm here to help this business achieve and sustain the goals, the strategic and financial goals that it deems as in, important. Now, what, what's my role in doing that? How do I also just not have my head down and my bottom up doing it? How do I start demonstrating that I'm doing that to these people so that you don't have, so that frankly, I mean, I know I sound a little bit Pollyanna now, but they're going to come to you and go, please, Mel, don't leave. We love you. We, how about we give you $50,000? And you go, sweet, that's awesome. Now, I know that that's a ridiculous example, but that's what we want to do. We want your worth to be demonstrated all the time. Now, the ways to do that, some practical tips. Here's some things that I used to do. I would always have, whether I had them or not, I would always have a personal dashboard about this is the stuff that I'm here to do. This is the stuff that I've got to create and um, and sustain and achieve for the organisation. And this is how I'm going to measure me. And I would have that dashboard and I would complete it semi-regularly, whether it's weekly, monthly or whatever it may be. And that always came to my performance reviews. It always came to my meetings with stakeholders. And I was able to give a red, amber, green against uh, and some commentary against what I was doing. Now, sometimes my bosses would get that whether they wanted it or not because I was a very autonomous person and didn't particularly need a lot of maintenance or anything like that, which I've got to say is a little bit dangerous as well. I've got a whole other view about that. But the way I'd like to report into my bosses is saying, Here's, my, here's the stuff I'm here to do. Here's what I'm, I'm up against. Here's what I've done. Here's where I need your help. And for the rest, hey, look how fabulous I am. So a dashboard of some description that tells your stakeholders what it is you're doing. Now, I know that not every organisation has a performance management culture. I know that not every organisation and not every woman listening to this or every boss listening to this has a one-on-one every month with their employees. They should, but I know they don't. So if you're not getting that, you take control. Give them a proactive view of what you're doing to achieve and sustain outcomes for the organisation. And that's going to make pay rise discussions and you need to appreciate me more discussions a hell of a lot easier because they're already going to know. All right. We've got some other really juicy questions today, several from engineers So I'll read the next one now. It says, I am an engineer in a large city and I'm looking for a job. I have a master's degree in engineering and over 25 years of experience. I still have issues with self-esteem and cynicism. I loathe job hunting because while I know I can do the work, this job market makes it seem that competence doesn't matter. It's not clear to me what does matter in today's job market. What should I be doing to shift my mindset for this job hunt? Oh, 
it's so interesting sitting on this side, listening to that, thinking, wow, what an accomplished, credentialed woman she is. And so sad to hear that she doesn't, that she's got some doubt uh, about herself. But when you're in a highly competitive environment, I, I get why that happens. Okay, so let me put the hat of a hiring manager on and give advice from that perspective first. Or beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So who are the beholders of your beauty? Who are the, the beholders of your, your skills, your talents, your credentials, your accomplishments, and what matters to them? And in a competitive job market, so where does the power sit right now? Power does not sit with job hunters. Power is sitting with, in a tight labour market, power sits with the hiring managers. So hiring managers have a lot of a lot of opportunity to get exactly what they want. Now, when it all boils down to it, though, people want to hire and they want to work with people that they know, they trust, and that they respect. So for me, my first question is around her mindset shift. Who knows her? Who trusts her? And who respects her? And why? She's got to get some feedback from those people who, who you know, meet that holy trinity and say, and get a bit of, you know, this is not ego stroking. She needs to get some some idea of what the value, what, how she is valued. Now, one really terrific little um, tool that I, I learned about when I was doing my MBA is the Jahari window. And it's, uh, and Mel, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you, but it's a, it's a way of, of figuring out where your strengths are, but also where your hidden strengths and your blind spots are. And sometimes your blind spots can be things that you're super duper great at, but you just haven't recognised in yourself. So this so this is about building uh, greater self-awareness, but in the context of what are the people who I want to work for? What are they really looking for? So Jahari Window, build your, your self-awareness. And essentially it works by sending out to uh, some trusted colleagues, confidence, a list of words. It's an online thing. They complete the list of words that they most think most describe you. And when the exercise is complete, you get a, a window which shows you where your, your known strengths, your hidden strengths, your blind spots and others are. It can be quite illuminating. So build a bit of, of some greater self-awareness about what you bring from the perspective of other people. But then I can't help but go to that. So who are you connecting with? Are you networking with? Are you being strategic about your networking? So strategic networking is connecting and nurturing relationships with the right others. And this is also about tapping your strategic network to say, right, so here I am. You all know who I am and what I bring. Here's what I'm looking for. And being really specific with your courageous ask. I am this, I am looking for this, I'd like you to help me, please introduce me to, connect me to, whatever it may be, but make it really easy for those people to help you. So let me split that out. So number one, build your self-awareness in the, so the organisations, the managers that you want to work for, what are they looking for and how do you bring that? So build that. Number two, look at your strategic networking activities and make sure that you are connecting with and nurturing your strategic network. And number three is using that strategic network to make a courageous ask. Now, if you want to know what a courageous ask is in great detail, you can come into a career that thaws. We'll show you because it goes on quite a lot, but you can look at no ceiling, no walls. Look, there's a bunch of material that we've got around a courageous ask. But in principle, it's authentic, genuine, it's specific, not namby-pamby. And it really gives that the person you're asking or people you're asking from a very, very tangible thing where they can weigh in and help. Michelle, that was a really great answer. And I really appreciate what you were highlighting there about the strategic network. I work in a technical space and I see a lot with some of the folks who are highly technical. They tend to focus on that work at the expense of many other things like a strategic network that can help their career. Mm. I wonder if you want to speak on that a little bit more and maybe even some of your experiences with its importance. 
Thank you, Mel. I would because I, I do get very animated about this subject. So I'll use an anecdote to highlight what it is I, I'm trying to say shortly. But essentially what I also see is people in technical roles or as in my own career, they spend a long time in one company. And, you know, there's there's some very, there's certainly people who would say you become, you know, you spend longer than X, Y, Z in a company, you become institutionalised. Now, I think that's a little unkind. However, you're only institutionalised if you haven't paid attention to the rest of the world. And I always say to people, particularly women, who go, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd rather, you know, eat my own head than network. And I'm going, seriously, networking's not turning up to events. I mean, like, we don't have many of them anymore, but turning up to events and drinking cheap wine and crappy canapes. If you're in a room, virtual or otherwise, with more than one person, you are networking. So paying attention to the internal and external networks that are going to be important to your career is important. And... I learned that the hard way after I uh, ejected myself from Telstra after 15 years and put myself A, into the job market and B, into a new, a new role in a new industry. And I, I woke up, you know, in this new job, fabulous, what have you, but I realised that no one knew me. No one knew who I was. And particularly because I was very much accountable, one of the people accountable to grow this organisation. People will also buy from folks that they know they like or respect and that they trust. So no one knew me. So how the hell could they respect me or trust me? So I had to work really damn hard at building my profile and my networks at that point. That was a an aha moment for me. And given that that was nearly 20 years ago, it was a big learning for me, which I continue to learn from. But here's another one that, that happened not so long ago. I'd love to say that this is the only time that this has happened to me, but it, it is not. I will get a phone call. In fact, it typically isn't a phone call. It might be a text or an email out of the blue from someone I used to know or used to work with. And in this case, it was someone I used to work with over 15 years ago. And this person who was also in a very large organisation had exited that organisation involuntarily, so had been made redundant um, after being there for, I don't know, 15, 20 years, something like that. And this person said, hey, Michelle, uh, I'm on the market now. Would be great if you could help me find a job and be a referee for me. And as I said, you know, like not the first time. And I, I suspect, well, it may not, it probably will be the last one because I've been pretty open about this on wherever I can speak. So there's probably no one going to come to me for a reference now. But, but this person, I hadn't heard from them. I had not seen them nor worked with them for a decade and a half. They had not made any effort to stay in contact with me. I didn't even know what they were doing. I was flummoxed to how to go back politely and say, um, where have you been? And, and how can I put my brand on the line for you when I don't know who you are anymore? I haven't been in contact. How could I authentically and genuinely and with integrity support you in a job application after all this time and so I did go back with something worded not to hurt the person's feelings but to be very very clear about I just don't think I'm the right person for you but it, it made me you know stop and reflect again and give this advice please pay attention to your networks. Now, this doesn't mean you have to create bosom buddies all inside and outside of your organisation but pay attention to networking. How will people, unless you can tell me your job's going to exist forever, you're going to be happy in that job forever, you're going to get every pay rise you want forever, and anyone who can tell me that, I'll just tell you, you're dreaming. But unless you can give that yourself that rock-solid guarantee, at some point, you're going to be looking for people who know you, respect you, and trust you to hire you or buy from you. So please, please pay attention to your networks and it's never too early and it is never too late. I would argue that even if the individual does feel that way, you can't always guarantee that those in power at the organization will always feel that way. 100%. And, you know, there, there are many of us who have had great bosses and great sponsors who take us with them or we land there and and certainly 
again, you know, I, I feel like I've got an example for everything, probably because I've been working for 40 odd years. But, you know, I, I can recall having been in a role with a, a boss who was, well, he was an executive of the particular organisation. I was there because of him, um, had his patronage and his sponsorship, and then he got promoted somewhere else. And then I got a boss that was, frankly, not as good a deal. It was not good for me. Um, so, but my tap might being able to tap into my networks meant I could extricate myself from a situation pretty quickly. So, yeah. Yeah. Pay, please uh, pay attention to it. Okay. Let's go to our next question. I think you'll like this one. Dear Michelle and Mel, I recently had my annual review. I was given the feedback that I need to be more assertive. By nature, I am an introvert. I would like to make it to higher levels of leadership within this company. The person who gave me the feedback is an aggressive type A male. I don't want to be like him. It feels like that's what he's pressuring me to do. How can I meet this person's expectations without sacrificing who I am? Where can I find the balance as this moves into the space of the double bind. Well, does it what? And you know, so our listeners wouldn't see that I threw my head back and rolled my eyes when I was listening to that question. But, oh, wow. Um, okay. So let me, rather than give perhaps what would be one of my more typical answers, let, let's look at this. I, I mean, I'm in a bit of a flip mode at the moment which Mel knows about I'm I'm flipping trying to flip problems and look at them from a different angle so let's look at it from the boss's angle the type a and let's look at it through the definition our leadership definition so leadership is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others how can we engage his greatness so this is, I think this is a really interesting challenge. So number one, let me let me deal with the women get being told to be more assertive. Can I park that for the moment, Mel? And I've talked about it a lot and, and I, I don't want her to become the image of a type A white man. So let, let's put that out there right now. We don't want you to lose your authentic self. But let's think about him. And, and as your boss, how do we engage the greatness in him? So how do how might you have a conversation with him that first of all says invites him to say what is important to him? Yes, he wants her to be more assertive, but why is that so important? What are his values? What's what's his view of the world? And how do we understand what matters to this man? How do we engage him and then align him importantly towards what you consider important, which is your career progression? So things that I might want to do, and it's a little bit similar to the previous answer, how might you shape the conversation with this boss to demonstrate more overtly in the way that he values, well, frankly, the value that you bring to your role to the team and to the organisation. So I would spend a little bit of time analysing this person and what he considers important in terms of what are the milestones he wants to achieve. Then I would say things like, so you want me to be more assertive, and I am dealing with the assertive advice without you know, saying I wasn't going to, but you want me to be more assertive. Can you give me an idea of what you want me to do more of and less of because advice given to women and, and and other people about you know can you change your attitude can you be more assertive can you be more confident it does us a disservice because it is not specific and it's not actionable so you know if you were to take that at face value and just say okay I'm going to be more like him well you will become an inauthentic leader and someone who's very has great dissonance between your internal and external self and you won't be happy and this will just be a disaster so Go back to him and say, what, what do you value? What do you want to see? What do you want to see more of from me? And what would you like to see less of? And then have a conversation about what those behaviors look like. It absolutely is the double bind. However, let's be practical. If every woman walked away from every time she encountered the double bind, we wouldn't have many women in the workforce. So we have to figure out ways to navigate it whilst, well, 
preserving our own well-being and our own our own sense of, of worth. So figure out what he considers worthy, what he wants to see more of and what he wants to see less of for you and get more specific advice. I don't know if that's nailed it, Mel. Irritates me, these questions. <laughs> uh, not, not the question, as in the situation. Yeah, yeah. I, I figure that it's just something about we've got to start flipping, we've got to start getting into their heads and shaping them you know, influencing upwards. That's probably what I was trying to say is manage upwards. How might she manage upwards better? Because they're not going to change. But let's figure out a way to navigate it. Right. I think what you were describing around getting curious about that person and what's driving them and asking enough probing questions to get to a place where you might find some commonality is important. Because maybe in the course of that conversation, you can identify some of the things that that boss values, things that you can do that you're comfortable doing that don't necessarily fall into the aggressive bucket that would be inauthentic yep. for this individual. Yep. And, and then I think it's also a way to then for her to shape help him alter his behavior so and look again we don't have the full story here but some of the assertiveness might be well hey boss what I'd like to do then to to really practice my my skills is when we're in a meeting I'd like you to invite me to participate so I'd like you to invite me to answer a question or I'd like you to throw to me to present something and that's the way for you to help me build my confidence and my ability to participate more fully in meetings. Um, and it's also a way for him to recognise that I can be more inclusive here. I can help her by opening the door uh, and giving her the opportunity to demonstrate her, her acumen, you know, demonstrate her worth to the organisation. So I think these shaping conversations are really important. You know, newsflash, not all bosses get it. In fact, any bosses says they do know it all and and get it all, well, they're a bit of a fibber because they don't. So we can help our bosses be good for us by telling them what's good for us, but also by better understanding. It's interesting, I'm just, I'm having this kind of, I'm thinking out loud now, Mel, because I'm thinking, I don't know that I've had many people who have reported to me, who have actually said to me, what matters to you, Michelle? I've said, like I share my leadership philosophy and my leadership story with, with teams that I've led, but I don't know that I've on reflection, ever had someone who sat and said, tell me about you and tell me about what matters so that we can work together effectively. So, hey, maybe, you know, this is engaging the greatness in others. Maybe that's, maybe she can surprise him by, by getting to know him beyond the type A persona. Because don't forget, a lot of this will be, it'll be an avatar that he has created for himself, for him to survive in a very cut and thrust business world. Right. So two things I want to add here. And one is total power move. So what Michelle just suggested around tell your boss that you want them to invite you to do XYZ or to participate in XYZ. I feel like that wording, no one's going to say no to that. That's a really fantastic way to enroll them in your success. And then as you were just describing this last bit, it really made me think about engaging the greatness in others. And I think that too often we look to the org chart to say to ourselves, well, they're my boss or they're my leader, and therefore they should be the ones engaging the greatness in me. And that is not the case. Every human that we work with has flaws, different strengths, different ways of doing things. And part of growing as a leader is learning to engage the greatness in others in all directions, not just people who are subordinates. Yeah, 100% Mel. And, you know, for any of you, and if you've ever had that feedback or heard about managing up, managing up well, gee, she manages up well. What does that really mean? It actually means she's engaging the greatness in others. I was a good up manager. I could engage. I was very comfortable. 
in fact, I was very comfortable vertically. <laughs> I wasn't as good horizontally. I don't think I was a very good peer in a lot of my organisations, and that was because I was far too competitive. But I've got to say I had bosses. I always wanted to be the number one for the boss, which is ridiculous. And, you know, we've, we've done a whole thing about the patriarchy, but I wanted to be that boss's. I can depend on her. I, you know, she can, she's got my back. And it's so important. And when you get that in a team member, when you have someone as a boss coming to you say, I've got your back because I get you and I know what's important to you and I know what's important to the business. Man, that is awesome. So, you know, this engaging the greatness in others business is around an e- your ecosystem, not just the people that report to you. Here, here. All right, Michelle, next question. I hold an MBA in marketing and human resources. I have an eight-year career gap from being a stay-at-home mother. What should be my strategy to find my next role returning from this time away from work? I've been searching for six months and still have no solid leads or interviews. I don't know where I'm going wrong. Well, congratulations on, first of all, bringing uh, a human or humans into the world and nurturing them for eight years. So good on you. That would be the the first thing that I say, because that's, honestly, if you can manage little humans in a household and what have you, those are really good skills. And I'm not being flipped. Don't discount your value for doing that. In terms of your MBA and your qualifications, I guess right now, I'll go back to, again, my previous answer. Who are you connecting with? I think this is pretty common across a number of geographies is that, yes, there are jobs posted on job boards and uh, and company boards and, and what have you. However, a great many positions are filled through networks. Now, whether they're networks of the hiring manager or networks of the recruiting firm, whether it's the internal recruitment firm or the external recruitment firm, we will go to our networks. So example, someone would say to me, hey, Michelle, do you know a a great MBA qualified HR manager? I'd go, yes, I know this person. And how can I connect you? And I do, I I quite often get, as you probably do, Mel, hey, do you know someone who's got an XYZ or who in your network might be looking for an ABC? And we will go to our own networks. So, but who am I going to in my network to refer on? I'm going to people, again, that I know, I trust and I respect, but I, I also, they're, they're, I, I know who they are because they're, they're popping up. Their profile is either you know, popping up in my social media feeds. We, we have contact from time to time and I've built some kind of relationship with them. So I want to be able to refer them. So again, I'd be saying to this, I am saying to this woman, who is in your network that you can say, here's the kind of role that I want to do. Here are my credentials please connect me with the people that you know that might be, you know, that might be looking. So it's less about, you know, applying for jobs and more about applying yourself to the network that are going to have the jobs. So you now need to raise your profile, be visible and be known, which means a bit of legwork around getting people to know you and who you are and more importantly, or as importantly, what you want. So, do an analysis of your network. Now, whether it's your LinkedIn network, whether it's your, you know, your little black book or equivalent of, and mark out half a dozen people that know you and know who you are and what you bring, and then create the opportunity to have a conversation with those people to say, this is what I'm great at. This is the kind of role that I want to do. Please promote me to your network and give them something to promote. So, and in that, that's my second part of my advice make it really easy for people to hire you or to refer you. So have a very short paragraph that describes who you are and what you bring, because that's often for folks that you say, would you mind making it? So I might go to you, Mel, I would like you to introduce me to say Heather Polinski, who you interviewed on CEO of Arcadis. And here's what I'd like you to say about me. Here's a little pre-written blurb that you can introduce me to her for. So that I can be really clear about why I'm connecting. So make it easy for those people to do that connecting for you. And then the third part of the advice, which is not, which is actually not the, your third priority, this is number one, is really go back to basics and say, what are my strengths 
what are my attributes and what is what are the outcomes that I create for organization and some of this is going to be and I get that it's going to be challenging after a career break but you can go back to your your previous roles and say I helped, so I'm a marketing person, I helped with with the campaign that I developed. We were able to engage an extra 20% of of customers, which resulted in a 15% uplift in sales of this particular product. So really talk about what you've done and what you bring in the context of how you made a difference for the organisation. And I suppose just, you know, more broadly, Really do, you know, really understand who you are and your strengths. Don't rely, don't over-rely on your technical qualifications. Yes, they are commendable and, and yes, they're important. But people want to employ a human, not a set of numbers or, or letters or, or qualifications. They want to know who the human is. Uh, and particularly in, in your areas of expertise, they want to know who the human is. So bring picture of who you are what you bring to everything you know when you talk about yourself I really like that Michelle and I want to add a little bit to what you were saying about being visible in today's world there are numerous free ways to be visible in the context of a job search one of the best ways to do that is on LinkedIn and you know one example is you could begin working on some of your thought leadership, some of your philosophy in this this woman's individual case around perhaps it's HR or some other aspect of the business and writing about it and publishing her thoughts on the LinkedIn, what do they call it? The, um, the, The LinkedIn article feature. Oh, yes. Yep. Or if she's not huge into writing, she could do videos, she could interview some other professionals in the field and share that. Sharing that those types of thoughts freely and with the intent of helping other people is a wonderful way to gain visibility and to start building uh, people who like you, creating people who like you because they're attracted to the thoughts and the energy that you're putting out there into the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that um, that generosity uh, to demonstrate your thought leadership is is a great is a great way to do that. And I would also say, Mel, that there's LinkedIn and there's also a career that soars. We have many, many, many women in there. In fact, we're, we're just about to tip over the, the 1,000 members mark from all over the world. And it's a safe space to also start practising, demonstrating that thought leadership uh, and, and asking for advice and, or giving advice as well. Because even, you know, with LinkedIn and a career that soars, I, I find that there's nothing more gratifying than having someone comment on your article or your your post and give you some you know whether it's positive reinforcement or simply making a comment and recognizing that you've taken a step so it's it's generosity in in a different kind of way but it's also making yourself visible so those free tools you're right are, are, are absolutely there and you know practice in a safe space practice in a career that soars and then then branch out into into LinkedIn it's a great way to demonstrate who you are and what you bring. This person wrote in, I am in an okay position, but it's not my forever job. I have a bad boss. What I mean is that I don't get one-on-one attention and I don't get access to development opportunities. For now, I can't jump ship. I'm looking for a job, but in the meantime, what can I do to manage this and maintain my sanity? Oh, that's a good one. And yes, I have had many conversations about this. So I think think she's got some really good building blocks there in that she knows that this is not the forever job. She is looking for the for the next job, but realizes that the, there'll be a process and there'll be a timeline. So, what does she do to, well, thrive, not just survive, in her current role? Now, there are some really practical things that she can do, and particularly with the, I guess it's you know the first thing I would say is limit your time with people that sap your energy. 
So, because you need a lot of energy at the moment and you need energy to devote to showing up to potential job interviews and turning up and showing up for, you know, job hunting. Um, you also need to keep showing up for your, for your current role. And if there are people or activities that are sapping your energy and distracting you, but particularly sapping your energy, eliminate them if you can. I would say if you've got the opportunity to, you know, when do you work uh, when you're in flow and how are you working? Do more of that. So do more of what makes you happy within your job and limit the stuff that you don't. Now, of course, not all of us have the choice to just say, well, I'm not going to do that bit and I'm going to do this bit. But really think about the things that bring you joy within your current role or at least don't make you unhappy and do those Focus on your environment as well. Many of us are still working from home, but if you are in the workplace, what environment are you working in? Do you have the option to to work differently, I see, you know, work remotely or work in a different workspace or change it up a little bit? So, you know, try to create some some variety in, in the way that you're working. And then I think the other thing too is, you know, how depending on how much you want to invest in changing the environment that you're currently in for those that come after you, maybe maybe there's an opportunity to be a leader and say, hey, I know that this environment's not great for me. It's probably not great for others if it's not great for me as well. What might I do to step up and create maybe a mini environment within the environment where people can feel safe, included and respected, whether it's a social group, whether it's a book club, you can use our podcast as your book club, a lean-in circle, you know, do something, find what brings you joy and just do it and enact it. But, but I think that the most important thing is that energy piece. How do you preserve your energy, which is going to fuel your resilience and your tenacity to keep going? How do you preserve your energy? And for me, figure out what the energy zappers are and eliminate them as much as you can. What do you think? Oh, man. I don't have the book handy, but there's a a great quote about guarding your time and how people tend to be obsessive about guarding their possessions, but when it comes to their time, they're really terrible about doing it. And that's the only thing that we can't get back. We can't make more of. Absolutely. Use your calendar, block time out for stuff that, you know, you like doing. And I guess it depends what career stage people are at as well, Mel. You know, the it's all very well for me to say is, you know, when I was an executive, I could choose to do this, that and the other and go and work in the, the you know, the most remote end of the building so I could stay away from people that were energy zappers. But not everyone's got that choice, right? So I think it's how do you fuel, you know, get rid of the energy zappers as much as you can and fuel your resilience and your tenacity. Yep. Okay, Michelle, this is the last question that we've got for this episode. And this woman wrote, hello, lead to soar team. I'm currently the only female engineer in my department. I heard that the company's HR department is interested in taking diversity and inclusion more seriously. So I reached out to start a discussion on increasing the number of female candidates for technical roles. They set a meeting with me, a female engineer from a different department, and several leaders to discuss this further. I want to show up with a few actionable things that we could do. I'd love to get your input on how to diversify our recruitment pipeline. Awesome question and um, front of mind for me because of some other work I'm doing. So good on Good on you. Like, I don't want to be patronised, but fantastic that you've decided to step into this space and so proactively. So things that you, things that I would prepare myself with are, so the recruitment cycle starts from even before a job ad is posted. I would start, ask at the team that's looking at this to look at position descriptions and then job advertisements for gendered language. We know from research that gendered language can preclude women from even putting their hand up for a role. There are many, many tools, and Mel, I'll give you the tools for the show notes, 
where you can run a position description and a job description through these tools and they're free to remove gendered language. So that's number one is bring that suggestion in. So let's, let's review all of our job descriptions and job ads. Number two is then saying, well, where are we going? So let's examine how we're hiring. Where are we, what pools of people are we tapping into and how might we get those pools of people before their job hunters. So in the case of, you know, and depending what sort of experience you're looking for, but I know organisations that I've worked with are now working with high schools as well as universities or colleges to identify female talent in particular areas, including uh, engineering. So they're, they're going into high schools and giving talks or doing career days and all sorts of things to promote their organisation as an organisation that takes women and diversity and inclusion really seriously. So they're, they're putting their brand out there and trying to appeal to their workforce before they become their workforce. On a more practical sense or a more practical level right now, there's things that the organisation must consider, including having gender-balanced interview panels and interview questions that engage the greatness in others the person being interviewed. So again, looking at gendered language, making sure that there's a woman, a man or a non-binary person, that there's definitely a gender balance on the panel. And yeah, looking at that language, how are you asking questions? Are you asking questions to understand, you know, we don't want to test people, we want to bring out their greatness. So again, looking at that panel, what are the policies and the processes in the organisation that can be examined that might exclude or knock out women? We've certainly, well, Mel, you and I have both heard stories about women being in interviews and they've either only been interviewed by men or a man, or they've had questions about their family and how they might juggle family and work, or even you know, less, less engaging experiences that had there been greater focus on inclusion and diversity in that interview process, they would have brought the best out of that woman. And in, in these cases, these women have walked away from these positions because they figure the company is not serious about it. So there are some practical tips or discussion items to take into your first meeting. But mapping that experience, what is the candidate experience right from high school, right through to, to interview and then managing the the onboarding process every single one of those processes needs to be mapped from the perspective of the candidate and I think that candidate experience if you want more women what is their experience what does it need to look like and feel like every step of the way I agree and hearkening back to that discussion I had with Heather Polinsky on an earlier episode, she talked about how one of the important steps her company took was setting targets and goals and being very deliberate about reaching those goals. So that includes things like ensuring you have diverse candidates and interviewing them before filling the role. And not moving forward until that metric is met. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that we are very happy to hear about these kinds of initiatives, and they're fantastic. They're a great first step in the right direction. And what's going to become important quickly as companies move forward in their diversity, equity, and inclusion journeys is to ensure that all diverse staff members are having an equitable experience in the workplace itself. So there's lots of work to do. There's lots of opportunity. It can feel overwhelming, I think, it's sometimes, but there's opportunity for us all to, to do a better job in that kind of setting. Would you have anything yeah. to add to that, Michelle? Yeah, building and, and look, I must admit you've stated something that I just naturally assumed, the targets and the metrics. So yeah, an easy target is the long list and the short list from a gender perspective has to be 50-50, simple as that. Um, and for those firms who are using, and well, whether you're using an external recruitment firm or your internal sourcing team, 50-50 long list. 
and 50-50 shortlist. And I agree, Heather's advice, we do not move forward until we've met those, those targets is 100%. I, I really want to, I just want to highlight the, the most important, important place to start when any organisation is beginning their journey to diversity and inclusion or a diverse and inclusive organisation is where are you now? What is the lived experience right now of the people you're trying to do more for. That means you've got to listen. You've got to ask and you've got to listen. So if it's gender, if it's women, what is the lived experience of women in your workplace? Women who are candidates or have been candidates in this in the case of this question. What is the, the lived experience of people of culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds? Really pay attention to that because that, that diagnostic piece is incredible incredibly, incredibly important and will deliver time and time again when you get stuck about, well, what should we do? Hang on, let's go back. What did our customers, what did our candidates, what did our people tell us that we need to pay more attention to? This is what we need to pay more attention to. It's such an important part because what I see, Mel, in, in the other work that I do around inclusive and diverse workplaces is a lot of solutions being built for problems that haven't been defined. Say more about that. So I, I see, here's an example. I see customers will come to me and say, Michelle, will you please run a mentoring program for women in our organisation? I go, yeah, sure. I can absolutely do that. Why, why do you want to do that? Oh, because women want to be mentored. And I said, do they? And, and what outcome are we going to get as the result of the women being mentored? Silence. And I go, well, we'll have women mentored. I said, okay, but what outcome are we, are we striving for? Well, we want more women in leadership, okay? So how is mentoring going to solve that? What are the barriers to women ascending to more leadership positions in your business right now? Is that a lack of mentoring? Probably isn't because I think women are over-mentored and under-promoted. Uh, so why aren't they getting promoted? Why aren't they joining your company? Why are they leaving your company? And I'm often met with, a, oh, I don't think we need a mentoring program, Michelle. I said, no, damn straight you don't. You need something else. So let's look at, what is really going on and diagnose it. So if you go to the doctor and say, hey, I've got a pain in my leg, the doctor's not going to go, right, we're going to put a cast on it and you have to be on crutches for the next six weeks. Any doctor who did that, you go, you're crazy. Um, they'd say, well, let's let's ask a little bit more about the pain. What type of pain is it? Blah, 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 blah. They would diagnose you and then give you the right prescription or the right solution to your problem the same with diversity, inclusion and belonging in workplaces. Why are you not diverse? Is this an inclusive environment? Why don't people feel like they belong? Figure that out first and then start saying, well, okay, maybe, maybe it's not mentoring we need. Maybe it's about understanding the mindsets of managers and how those mindsets are, you know, things like the double bind, things like gendered expectations of women and men, about who does men's work, who does women's work. It, there'll be a whole bunch of things that bubble up. And, you know, stop spending money on off-the-shelf solutions that just aren't going to work. Start figuring out what's not working in your organisation and then fix that. I think that's a great note for us to end on. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today and answering all of these really thoughtful questions. And thank you to folks who wrote in. And another reminder, you can leave your career question for us in the form of a voicemail at leadtosoar.com. Just go over to the website leadtosoar.com and there's a little place where you can record your voicemail. It's super easy. We can't wait to hear from you. Thanks, Mel. And thank you to the, the people who submitted these questions. It really stretched my brain to answer them thoughtfully and, and I hope usefully. What we really try to do is give you actionable insights and actionable advice. So thank you so much for everyone who's who's courageously put themselves forward and, and asked these really tricky questions. And, you know, Stay strong to all of those women. We are here to support you, as is the remainder of the community in a career that soars. Absolutely. We look forward to seeing you inside a career that soars. And you can find a link for accessing the community and joining us inside a career that soars at leadtosoar.com as well.
Thank you so much, Michelle. Awesome. Thanks, Mel. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar. Oh, 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 oh,